Well, good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our worship service this morning. If you could come in and find a seat, we'll begin our worship service today. Can you hear me? So good to see you all. You're finding your seat. We're welcoming you this morning to worship together. But we've come to... Enter into the presence of the Lord, and we've uh, planned some music this morning that will lift your spirits, get your toes tapping, and uh, will enter the gates of the Lord with thanksgiving. In fact, to get us into that mood, let's uh, read a scripture, Psalm 100, which is a, a great one for opening a worship service. So if you would stand together in honor of the word of the Lord, let's responsibly read Psalm 100. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, sing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his hearts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord, For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and His faithfulness continues to each generation. God is good all the time. He put this song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time through the darkest God is good all the time. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. God is good all the time. If you're walking through the valley 
Thank you. Please have a seat. Good morning. Good to be here with you this morning as we come together and we worship our God, who we just think is good all the time. We can worship Him because of His goodness, even in the midst of trial and pain and hurt. God is still good. If we can gather together here and we can worship Him for that. If you're new or you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here. We're glad you're here with us. If you are New, just a couple of things for you to be aware of. First, on your way out in the foyer, there's a, a welcome table. We'd love to have you stop by there. Uh, we have a gift for you. We'd love to just tell you a little bit more about the church and answer any questions you may have. And then also in the seat back in front of you, there's a, a connect card. We just would kind of give us a little information about yourself. We'd love to be able to connect with you and just tell you more about the church that way as well. We won't punch you down or stalk you or but just any questions you will may want to have answered, we'd love to be able to connect with you. Um, so if you want to fill out that connect card, um, and you can drop that in the, the offering box that's in the, mounted to the back wall on your way out this morning. And for those of us who are um, regular attenders here, one of the ways we worship is through our tithes and offerings. And so you can place those in the box that's on the back wall on your way out, or you can give online at tlefc.org slash give another way that we worship our God. Not as a way to earn His favor, but to pour out our worship to Him and remind ourselves that, as we said last week, everything we have belongs to Him and not to us. That in mind, would you continue just in this attitude of worship as we pray together? Father, we just sang you are so good to us in ways that we even constantly take for granted. Your goodness is far more than we deserve. You are gracious and you are merciful to us. We thank you for that. Thank you for this chance to gather together now here in this place as your people and to express our thankfulness to you to worship you through song thank you that you provided this this place and this time and this moment to come before you and worship hearing your word so would you help us to cast aside any other concern for the moment if be transfixed by what a great God you are this morning. Father, we pray now for people in our church family, people we know who are going through trials, are going through hardships, are going through difficulties, where it can be hard in the moment to remember that you are good. Would you be with them this morning, remind them of your goodness, of your good purposes, even in hardship and trial? Would you give them real and tangible glimpses of that goodness in the midst of their pain and their suffering?
that we thank you for all the ways that you are good to us, all the ways you provide for us and care for us. For every breath you give us, the gift from you, and but not take that for granted. So let us express our thanks to you this morning for all those good gifts as we worship you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, undoubtedly, you've noticed that there's a face up here that you haven't seen for a while. Our dear, dear friend, Marcy Karanjahi, has agreed to come back and sing with us today. Um, a lot of you are relatively new, so you might know that she's an old, familiar face. And she and her husband, Mo, were called to uh, help in leadership and music and other ways at Church in Eagle River. That is actually their home denomination from back home in Kenya. So, Marcy, we love having you here. Some of you are new and you might not know the other people up here. So I'm going to introduce Tyler Kirby and Erica and Julie Stopper and Mr. Old Faithful himself, Doug Russell. And uh, we are just thrilled to be able to lead you all into the Lord's presence. Today, we're going to, we are going to have a lot of fun up here. I hope you join us. Stand and let's sing together.
This is the hymn of heaven. Saints and angels, the 24 elders, cherubim and seraphim, all the angels, the great archangels, gathered around the throne, and they look to the Lamb who was slain, and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. And God, it is true that when we open our eyes through faith, your holiness surrounds us. Everywhere we look, we see the work of your hands. Be it the stars or the snowflake. Be it the wolf that runs free or the deer that stands. Be it the trees, O oh Lord, that survive the winter and the flowers that come out in the spring. Be it the sound of a child's voice or the cry of a newborn baby. Everywhere we look, O oh Lord, we see that surely there is no God but you. So we cry out together with all that is in heaven and in, on earth and beneath the earth. We cry with those whose voices were raised ages ago and continue to praise you even today into eternity that you are worthy, 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 Lord, to receive honor, praise, glory, adoration. You are worthy, Lord, to spend our lives on. So receive our worship this morning, our Father. Receive our worship, Son of God. Receive our worship, Holy Spirit, because it is through you that we can cry out and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. So today as we worship, Holy Spirit, help us to hear, help us to see. And in our hearing and our seeing, we will love the Lord our God. And we will love our neighbors. We love ourselves. We rejoice in you. We rejoice in you. You are worthy. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed and believed. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you know we had our fourth child just over a month ago. We celebrated one month this past week, and so he's a month old, and he was born. His name's Elijah. Elijah was born at 7.30 at night. He was born down in Antigo, the hospital down there. Under the policy of that hospital, and I think most hospitals, is that they do blood tests that when the baby's 24 hours old, and if those come back good, then you can be discharged. And so we were kind of at the hospital. We were waiting for the test to take place. And finally, about 8 o'clock the day after he was born, the lab tech comes in, draws the blood. We get the test back about a little after 9 o'clock, 9.15, somewhere in there. The test comes back. It's all good to go until finally kind of everything goes through and finally we can be discharged around like 9.30 at night. So we, then, then we pack up. And by the time we actually get in the car... 
to leave the hospital. It's about 10 o'clock at night. We're down in Antigo. It's like an hour drive home. So we get home around 11 o'clock. So you can imagine that we have three older daughters that are older than Elijah. And so they were all super excited to meet their brother. But getting home at 11 o'clock at night is not the ideal scenario to meet your baby brother for the first time. So for, for Evelyn, who's four, and Isla, who is two, like staying up wasn't even really an option. They were out well before we got home. But her oldest daughter, Adelia, who's seven, and she was like bound and determined that she was going to stay awake until Elijah got home so she could meet her baby brother. So she cut a deal with Grandma, who was staying at home with the kids. Like, you have to be in bed, but you can try your hardest to stay awake until Elijah gets home. Like, as it turns out, she didn't quite make it. She fell asleep. But when we got home, like, Grandma was telling us about how determined she was, how much she wanted to be here and be ready to welcome and meet Elijah when he was born. And so because she was so excited, after we got home, I went into her room, I picked her up, and I kind of carried her to our room. She kind of stirred a little bit, and Vanessa was in our room with holding Elijah, and so I get to kind of see Adelia wake up and like see her brother for the first time, and she kind of coming out of the sleep fog. And like still to this day, like that moment of like seeing Adelia kind of slowly come to and slowly figure out like what's going on, and slowly see her brother. Like then there's just this giant smile spreads across her face as she gets to see her brother for the first time coming out of this kind of sleepy fog. Right? And like that moment where she like that smile begins to grow is still like one of the highlights in all of parenting I've ever had. Like she was so happy, so excited to meet her little brother. And like I couldn't help thinking about that moment, right? that precious moment, as I was reading this week's passage. Right? So we're, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning, looking at verses 35 through 48. Right? And just the first couple of verses of that passage say this. Jesus commands his disciples, he tells them, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Right? And so that kind of sets the tone for this whole passage. Right? This whole passage is a call to be ready. Right? Specifically to be ready when Jesus returns. And every time I'd read those first couple of verses, like I couldn't help think about how hard Adelia tried to stay awake right? to meet her baby brother. And even though she didn't quite make it, it's like, because of a, just like a physical limitation. Right? But we don't have that problem. But she tried so hard to meet, to be awake, to be ready, to be awake to meet her little brother. And as I thought about that, I just couldn't help but find myself wondering, am I trying that hard to be ready, to be awake when Jesus returns? Adelia had this deep desire, this deep longing to meet her brother. Do I have that same longing and desire to meet Jesus face to face when he returns? That's the attitude we're called to have 
in this passage this morning. He had this eager longing to be with you, to see Jesus return. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read through the whole passage, and I just want to think through a little bit about what it teaches us about Jesus' second coming, Jesus' return to earth. And then think through, kind of see how and when and why we should be ready for Jesus' return. So we're going to think about what it says about his return and then how, what, and why we should be ready for his return. With that in mind, let's read the whole passage together. The verse will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked the Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. As I said a minute ago, right, this whole passage is the call to be ready. I just want to walk through now. Let's just think of, I'll look, I'll look at how, when, and why we are called to be ready for Jesus' return. And the short answer to all those questions, right, if I could summarize kind of the whole point of I want to drive at this morning in one kind of concise sentence, it would be this. We are called to be ready for Jesus' return by doing the work God has given us, given us to do at all times so that you will receive blessings and not punishment. So what I, what I want to do the rest of our time this morning is just walk through this sentence, right? kind of take it apart piece by piece and expand on each one of those 
parts. Starting with this statement that we are called to be ready for Jesus' return. I already read verses 35 and 36 a minute ago that they are a call to be ready. But okay, those verses aren't clear. Verse 40 also says, The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. The Son of Man will come. Now, Son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite ways of referring to Himself. So, it's clear from from that statement that He is referring to Himself coming. He's saying, I will come at an hour you do not expect. But there's an obvious kind of conundrum here, which is that Jesus is standing in front of a crowd saying those words. Jesus is here. So how can he say, I will come in an hour you don't expect, when he's standing in front of them? But as the Gospel of Luke kind of unfolds, it becomes more and more clear that Jesus understands that he will eventually live on this earth. He will be crucified and resurrected. Eventually he will ascend into heaven. And then there will be this kind of indeterminate amount of time. Jesus will ascend and there will be an indeterminate amount of time. That's the time we live in right now. After the ascension. And then at some point in the future, Jesus will return to earth again. In Luke chapter 21. Some of the last teaching Jesus does before the Last Supper, before he's betrayed by Judas. Jesus teaches his disciples about these kind of last times, and he's going to come again. He says this, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then he says, At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So Jesus said, The Son of Man will come again. He will come on the clouds. And throughout the New Testament, we see similar statements. Just a couple places for us to see. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And He will appear a second time, not to bear our sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. And then 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. So that the coming that we're called to be ready for. At the coming that Jesus is talking about here in Luke 12 when he says to be ready for the Master's coming. Jesus will one day come again and he will usher in an end of this age and the beginning of eternity. There's all kinds of debate about what exactly those times will look like, what exactly the order of events 
will be. Like some of you may have opinions on those things. And we could stand here, we could debate week after week on those things. And after all that debate, we'd be no closer to agreeing. Like faithful Christians all down through history have debated these things. And like they're, they're all reading the Bible carefully and faithfully and yet they disagree. But here's the important thing. The Bible is clear on a couple things. First, that Jesus is coming again. That he will return. And that when he returns, we should be found ready. That Jesus is coming again. What exactly that looks like, that's for debate, but he is coming again. And when he comes, we should be found ready. And the question becomes, okay, great. Like, we should be found ready. What does it look like to be ready? And we, we see this in this passage, right? that to be found ready means to be found doing whatever it is that God has given you to do. In verse 36, we read that to be ready is to be like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. But the job of these servants right, was to wait for their master to return. And then open the door for him and attend to him when he returns. Like that was their job. And when the master returns and he finds them doing it, he finds them doing the job they've been given to do. Likewise, in verses 42 and 43... Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Until this servant's job was to divvy up the food the master had allotted to the rest of the servants. That was his job. We're told that it will be good for that servant if the master finds him doing that job well when the master returns. And so for us, I mean, it will be good for us if we are found doing the job that Jesus has given us to do when Jesus returns. And look, for each and every one of us here, the exact details of what that looks like in our individual lives will vary. We all have different jobs, we have different family dynamics. We have different relationships around us. Right? So the exact details will look different for each and every one of us when it comes to how do we live in a way that is ready for God's return. But while the details may be different for each of us, right? There's some there's some kind of universal tasks that Christians all should be doing. And like we try to sum up those tasks in like our church's mission statement. Right? We talk about we want to be a church that is about reaching people with the gospel, about growing to be like Christ, and about serving others. We want to reach, we want to grow, and we want to serve. But we didn't just, as a church, we didn't just choose those words because they sound good. We chose those words because we believe they sum up what the Bible teaches that Christians should be about in this life. 
And we see that in a number of Bible passages. At the very end of his time on earth, right, Jesus, after his resurrection and right before his ascension, he gives the disciples what's become known as the Great Commission. These are kind of his final instructions to his followers before he ascends into heaven. And he tells them first, he says, Go, make disciples of all nations. That is, invite people to come and follow me. That's a command to reach people with the gospel. And then he says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. But of course, you can't teach others what you yourself don't first know. And so this command is a command to both grow yourself to be like Jesus, and then help other people grow to be like Jesus. So even in this great commission, we see a command to reach, and we see a command to grow. And we see a command to serve all throughout the Bible. Two of my favorite verses in all the Bible talk about serving others. First, first Peter 10. First Peter 4.10 Each of you, Peter writes, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to do what? To serve others. A faithful steward of God's varied grace. Like that, that phrase, faithful steward of God's varied grace, is like maybe my favorite phrase in the whole Bible. Like it's just, like, I just love that it encapsulates that God has not gifted each of us the same way. God has not made us all the same, and yet He's given each of us gifts. He's graciously given each of us gifts to be used. And we're called to steward them up, be faithful stewards. And to use those gifts, to steward those gifts by serving other people. Similarly, in Galatians 5.13 we read, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. In that passage, Paul has just finished talking about how we are free in Christ. We are no longer slaves to the law. We are free. That kind of sounds like an invitation to run around living life however you see fit. Living a a self-centered, kind of hedonistic lifestyle. Because you're free. You're free in Christ. But Paul kind of cuts off that thinking. And he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, Serve one another humbly in love. Use the freedom you have in Christ to serve one another. So the Bible kind of gives us these three tasks. To to reach others, to grow to be like Christ and help other people grow, and to serve others. These are the tasks, these are the responsibilities that the Master has given us. These are the things we ought to be found doing when Jesus returns. We should be found reaching people. We should be found growing to be like Christ. We should be found serving others. And if you want to be sure that we're found doing those things when Jesus returns, then we need to be doing those things at all times. Why at all times? Because no one knows when Jesus will return. Verses 38 through 40 say, It will be good for those servants 
who's the, whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Like throughout history, there's been no end of people who have like thought they've cracked some code and like have figured out when Jesus is going to return. Like they skip that verse. Like the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So if you're pick a date and you say I'm expecting him that date, like the only thing you've guaranteed is it's not going to be that date. Because he's coming at an hour you do not expect him. But we need, to be ready at, we need to be ready at all times. Right? Because He will come at a time that is not known to us. A time we do not expect. When I was a teacher, before I was here, in the, it's like a past life now, I taught, taught fifth grade for a while. We lived pretty close to the school I taught at. Which meant that it's a fairly common occurrence to be out and about somewhere in the community and I would run into one of my students. Right? Like, I'd be out at Target and like, oh, like, oh, look, hey, there's, there's Camden. Like, or at some restaurant, I'm like, oh, hey, there's Macy and her family. Like, in those situations, I would, like, kind of just try to avoid eye contact. And, like, just, like, hope they didn't see me. But, like, inevitably, there's, like, at some point, there'd be a, I'd hear, Mr. Byer, Mr. Byer. Right? They would, they would find me. Like, they always found me. And, like, but I would, I kind of dread the moments a little bit. I try to avoid them. Right? Because, like, in those moments when I'm out at Target, I'm out to eat, like, I didn't want to be Mr. Buyer. I wanted to be Tim. I just wanted to be me. Because, like, like, there was this teacher version of myself that my kids knew, my students knew. And then there was, like, the real me. And, like, I didn't want them knowing the real me all the time. <laughs> there were kind of two versions of me. There can be a temptation for some of us to do the same thing in the Christian life. If there's the version of you that shows up at church on Sunday mornings, there's the version of you that shows up when you're hanging out with your Christian friends, when you're doing church activities. But for some people, right? There's another version that lives a more self-centered life, that only cares what they want. That when they're left to their own devices, the real them comes out. And it's a them that is worried about their own cares, their own worries. But the passages like this tell us that for those who are true Christians, this is a false dichotomy. There can't be two versions of you. There can't be the, the church-going Christian version of you and the, the other you. You are always on duty. You are always called to be ready. You're always representing God before a fallen and broken world. You don't know when Jesus will return, so you need to always be ready. Not just on Sunday mornings, not just on religious holidays. Right? Always 
be ready. Right, so if you're here, you're watching this morning, and you just feel like, yeah, that's me, right? That there's you know, these two versions of me. I just invite you, I'd encourage you to turn from that way of thinking and to realize that you are always called to be ready. You are always representing God before a fallen and broken world. You are always a Christian or you are never a Christian. Well, that's, that's one temptation, right? To create this false economy, to have this this real me and this Christian me. But there's another temptation when it comes to this. And that's to kind of like hyper-spiritualize what Jesus says here. Like I've had times when I've read this call to be ready. And I've had the thought, right? Like if when Jesus returns, I'm not either like standing on a street corner yelling at people to repent. Or I'm not like at my desk reading my Bible or praying, or I'm not like serving the poor at some soup kitchen, then I'm going to be in trouble. Like, I better be found doing something super holy looking when Jesus comes back, or I'm going to be in trouble. Like, I've read this passage like that before in my life. That's also not a correct way to read this. We can continue to do our day-to-day activities and still be ready at all times. Like it's much more about our mindset as we do those activities than it is about the activities themselves. Like I think, think of Paul in 1 Thessalonians. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Right? But Paul didn't walk around like constantly shouting a prayer of thanksgiving and rejoicing. Or he didn't lock himself in a room 24-7 and pray. He lived a relatively normal-looking life with a constant background frequency of his heart, which is one of prayer and thanksgiving and rejoicing. And all that he did, and everything he did, as he traveled, as he met with people, he had this attitude of rejoicing and prayerfulness and giving thanks that undergirded all that he did. And the same thing is kind of true of Jesus' call here. But the issue is not first and foremost what activities you're doing when Jesus returns, but the motivation of your heart in doing them. Like, you can be like, having dinner with a friend or a neighbor when he returns. If there's a desire in your heart to use that dinner to reach that neighbor, to build relationships with that neighbor, to have conversations that talk about the big questions of life, that's a form of reaching, that's a form of doing what God has called you to do. Or you can even watch a movie or a TV show or read a novel. You can grow by actively thinking about how that movie's view of the world differ from the Bible's view of the world. You can serve. You can serve your family well by showing up 
to work and faithfully working. There may be nothing that seems overtly holy about your job. You are serving your family well if you show up and you do it faithfully to provide for your family's needs. That is a form of doing what God has called you to do at all times. Like if Jesus returns Monday morning and he finds you at your desk writing some menial email, but your heart behind doing that, writing that menial email is to provide for the needs of your family by doing your job well. If he finds you writing that email, like he's not going to say, what are you doing? Why aren't you out feeding the poor? Your heart in that is to serve your family well. Now, when he returns, he finds you doing that. I think he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. He will find you in that moment ready for his return. Even if it's something menial, if it's something that seems not holy, if your heart desires to use what you're doing to reach or to grow or to serve, then you are being faithful what God has called you to do. And if Jesus finds you ready, if Jesus finds you doing these things, then it will go well for you. Right? The reason we want to be found ready is that for those who are found ready, they will receive blessings. Look at verse 37 again. This is easy to overlook, but truly an astounding verse. Just hear these words. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he, that is the master, will dress himself to serve and will have them, that is the servants, recline at the table and will come and wait on them. You hear that? If the master finds you ready and waiting when he returns, then the master will dress himself to serve. And he will have the servants recline at the table. And the master will come and he will wait on the servant. Verses 43 and 44 say something similar. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him, that is the servant, in charge of all his possessions. Charge of all his possessions. For the servant found ready, the master will turn the tables and he will serve the servant. He will put the servant in charge of all his possessions. And that's the glorious future that awaits us if we are found ready and waiting when Jesus returns. Second Timothy 4.8 puts it this way. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. You long for the Lord's appearing. There is awaiting you a crown of righteousness that Jesus will award to you. 
1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. But the glory that awaits those who are found ready and waiting for Jesus is beyond anything we can imagine. There is blessing and reward in being ready and being found waiting. Of course, there's the flip side to that as well. For those who aren't ready, who aren't found waiting, there is punishment. Listen once again to verse 45 through 48. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women. And to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour when he is not aware of. He will come and cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready. Or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does these things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I'm not going to dwell here a super long time. Just to point out that these are servants in the master's house who have been given tasks, who are being found not faithful. And so as the analogy plays out, I think that means, like it's talking about people who would claim to be Christian, but who are not living in obedience to what God has called them to do. Now that could be a worrying experience, right? because like, we've all had moments. I thought I've certainly had moments where, like, man, stretches, long stretches sometimes, where, like, I know I'm not doing what God's called me to do. I know I'm living selfishly. Moments every day of that. But it'd be easy to, like, just let that passage kind of weigh us down with guilt and fear. And, but we must not forget, right, this passage is in the middle of this book of Luke that leads to, ultimately, the cross. We're on that cross, Jesus is crucified, and in His crucifixion He takes on Himself all the times we fail. All the times when we had moments where we forgot to be ready. All the times when we weren't waiting. All the times we were living selfishly for ourselves and not waiting for His return. And if we trust and we believe in Jesus, then all the times we've failed in this have been paid for and taken care of on the cross. And God sees us as if we've lived the sinless life that Jesus lived. 
And I think these verses that warn about punishment are primarily directed at those who are in the church but who never really trusted or believed in Jesus. Who, who by, by the way they live their life, show that they have no desire to follow Him. And if we really believe that Jesus is who He says He is, that He did what He claims to have done, then like, we won't be perfect. But our desire, by and large, will be to be ready for Him, to rejoice at His coming, to wait for His coming. And so if you're here, and you've never made that first choice, right, to, to follow Jesus, to trust Jesus, maybe you've even been in church a long time, most of your life, you've kind of gone through the motions, but outside of church you're living, however you want to live, not caring about what Jesus wants from you. God urge you. Trust in Jesus. If not, this punishment awaits those who have never trusted in Him and who are found not ready. So I urge you to trust in Jesus. Follow Him. Give your life to Him. And then, for those of us who are here who have trusted Jesus, let us live lives where we are ready. I was at a, a conference once. The pastor, Francis Chan, was speaking. I told the story about him and his like, extended family were all together watching some movie, and he noticed his grandma getting agitated. And eventually, his grandma got up and walked into the kitchen and started doing dishes. And Francis Chan followed her. Said, Grandma, like, what's wrong? And she looked at Francis Chan and she said, like, watching that movie is not what I want to be fun doing when Jesus returns. Not that movies are wrong universally, right? but that, that should be the way we think about all that we do. Is this, what I'll, is this what I want to be found doing when Jesus returns? If Jesus shows up right now, am I happy that He sees me where I'm at doing what I'm doing? Am I, am I trying to reach others? Am I trying to grow to be like Him? Am I, am I trying to serve other people? Let those questions be what guides your thinking. And you know, how you make decisions and how you live your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you teach us. The way you help us prepare for your return, Jesus. And above all, we praise you and we thank you that you will return. That as we sang earlier, that there will be a day when I will bow before you, there will be a day when there is no more death, and there is no more pain, when all is set right. You will usher in that day with your second coming. So we long for that day. 
for that day when we are free from the sin that still clings to us. And the day that our fragile, frail, broken bodies are transformed into new and perfect and glorious bodies. But while we wait for that day, Father, would you help each of us to do the task you have called us to do. Not to live for ourselves, but to live for you and for your glory. When Jesus comes, would we be found ready? Would we be waiting with eager anticipation for his coming? Would his coming not cause us to turn in shame at what we're doing, but to rejoice? Knowing that our eternal glory has come. In Jesus' name, Amen. So if you, you go from here, would you go doing the task that God has given you to do so that when He returns, you would be found ready. You are dismissed.